We were in there talking. He was leading the meeting, and Coop ran out. That's his freshman in college right now. Coop ran out and started asking him to do something, and he kind of looked at him and said no, and uh, ran back, and Todd said, excuse me, just a minute, kind of disappeared in the back room. A couple minutes later, came back. We started again. Three minutes later, Coop came running out. Todd said, hey, Coop, would you do this? No. Todd said, it's not leaving the meeting, right? No. And so he disappeared in the back room, took care of business, came back out, and just kept right, kept right on going. And so for ever since I've known him, <coughs> being intentional about leading and loving his family has been uh, what Todd has been about. I've been on him for years to write a book on dads, being a dad, because I he's as good a dad as I've ever seen. And so I'm thrilled that he's here uh, to kind of kick this thing off. So let me pray for us. Let's set our hearts to really dive in. First and foremost, to be a disciple of Jesus. But secondly, how do we do that in the context of being a dad? Father, thank you for the privilege uh, to be here. Grateful to be gathered around tables uh, with leaders at tables, with your Bible. Uh, your word is the center of what we're doing. And I pray that you would... Um, not just inspire us today, but would you change us, Father, so that we could love and lead our families the way that you call us to. So help us to have yielded, willing hearts to change. Thanks for Todd. I pray that you would bless the time. Father, you would use it for your kingdom impact. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, guys. How you doing? I am Todd Wagner. If uh, we haven't had a chance to meet, it's a privilege. And... Uh, I have had a blast uh, getting to share life with Kyle Kegler, and not just um, you know as single men, as newly married men, as young dads, and now as guys who are celebrating our kids in college. And for me, one out, and uh, hopefully a couple more soon. <laughs> but it is great to be here, and uh, I just want to start by reading you something. In fact, it was honestly uh, it just literally hit me when I was back there because I really want to start this this time that you're going to have as dads by um, just sharing with you the story that I think captures the role that we have. And I just want to let you know that as a dad, it's a very unique role in, in um, the life of your child. There's nobody that's going to be able to replace your role. I can think of two specific stories to illustrate this. I want to read this one. Uh, I was at SMU a number of years ago, and I was sitting next to uh, John Lucas, who was an uh, NBA um, an all-star and uh, a significant uh, player in the league for a long time, and we were watching uh, Oklahoma State play SMU. And his son at the time was an All-American at Oklahoma State, and we were just talking uh, about the game, what was going on, and, um, and what was interesting is his son, well, Oklahoma State was a top-five team in the country at the time. As he ran up and down the court, every now and then he would do something great, and in this this huge crowd. This kid's in his last year of college. When he made a great shot as he was running back, I watched him again and again just turn his head a little bit and look up, and he wanted one guy's eyes to look at him. And I thought to myself, hey, I see my kids do that in wide basketball. Right? I see my kids do that in uh, you know, school sports, high school basketball and whatnot. But it was amazing to me to still see that the one guy that he wanted to, to affirm him and whose approval he still needed and whose love he longed for was his dad. His dad who had been through all kinds of trouble, who had um, 
you know, had, had left his mother, had uh, been addicted to different substances that allowed him to not be his present as a daddy, but there was something about that dad. Fast forward a number of years, um, there was a young man that uh, I've gotten to know because he uh, went to school uh, with my oldest daughter. Uh, he was on The Voice last season. Uh, was in that little final group as they kind of made their way through. And, uh, and, and, and Corey, um, whose dad left his mom when he was 10, actually maybe a little bit before that, um, whose mom later remarried a guy that really did a really good job as a stepdad. Uh, men that had gotten around him as he started to push his way in the music industry. Me, who had been in his life for the last four years as a guy that met him when he was a freshman. Uh, when he turned 21, we got together to kind of do a little uh, ceremony for him and an encouragement for him. And uh, just kind of set him up for where he was going to go with the rest of his young career and just what he was going to be like as a man. We sat around, and there were five different men that had been significantly impacting his life, including his stepfather. Um, I spoke, um, the father of one of his closest friends, a, a gentleman that actually for the last three years had been mentoring him and, and uh, had uh, toured with him in the music industry. And uh, when we all got done, his dad was invited that night, and his dad showed up. And after all of us had blessed this young man and poured into this young man, spoken to this young man, when his dad opened his mouth, he didn't get two sentences out before Corey just absolutely broke over, you know, broke out in tears and his shoulders started, you know, shaking back and forth. And when he heard his dad, his biological dad, say, Corey, I'm proud of you. It was just a moment. I thought to myself, it doesn't really matter how much a lot of us do. There's just something unique, something supernatural about the role that God gives daddies. Let me read you the story. My father wore... Uh, let me see. Yeah, sorry. Slide that over so I can see it myself. Uh, what my father wore embarrassed me as a young man. I wanted him to dress like a doctor or a lawyer, but those muggy mornings when he rose before dawn to fry eggs for my mother and me, he always dressed like my father. We lived in South Texas, and my father wore tattered jeans with the imprint of his pocket knife on the seat. He liked shirts that snapped more than those that buttoned, and he kept his pencils, cigars, glasses, wrenches, and screwdrivers in his breast pocket. My father's boots were government issues with steel toes that made them difficult to pull off his feet which I sometimes did when he returned from repairing air conditioners, his job that also shamed me. As a child, I crept into his closet and modeled his wardrobe in front of the mirror. My imagination transformed his shirt to the robes of kings and his belts into soldiers' holsters. I slept in his undershirts and relied on the scent of his collars to calm my fear of the dark. Within a few years, though, I started wishing my father would trade his denim for khaki and retire his boots for loafers. I stopped sleeping in his clothes and eventually began dreaming of another father. I blamed the way he dressed for my social failures. When boys bullied me, I thought they'd see my father wearing his cowboy hat but with no shirt while walking our dog. I felt that girls snickered at me because they uh, saw him mowing the grass in cutoffs and black boots. The girls' families paid men, and I believe better dressed ones, to landscape their lawns while their fathers yachted in the bay wearing lemon yellow sweaters and expensive sandals. My father only bought two suits in his life. He preferred clothes that allowed him the freedom to shimmy under cars and squeeze behind broken Maytags where he felt most content. 
But the day before my parents' 20th anniversary, he and I went to Sears, and he tried on suits all afternoon. With each one, he stepped to the mirror, smiled and then nodded, then asked about the price and reached for another. He probably tried on 10 different suits before we drove to a discount store and bought one without so much as approaching a fitting room. That, that night, my mother said she'd never seen a more handsome man. Later, though, he, he donned the same suit for my 8th grade awards banquet, and I wished he'd stayed home. After the ceremony, I'd been voted Mr. Citizenship, of all things. He lauded my award and my character while changing into a faded red sweatsuit. He was stepping into the garage to wash a load of laundry when I asked what, uh, even at age 14, struck me as cruel and wrong. Why, I asked, don't you dress nice like all the other dads? Why don't you look like my friend's fathers? He helped me with his sad, shocked eyes and searched for an answer. And then before he disappeared in the garage and closed the door between us, my father said, Son, I like my clothes. An hour later, my mother stormed. Sorry, every time I read this, it gets me. An hour later, my mom stormed into my room, slapped me hard across the face, and called me an ungrateful little twerp. A phrase that echoed in my head until they resumed speaking to me. In time, they, they forgave me, and as I matured, I realized that girls avoided me not because of my father, but because I was his son. I realized that my mother had slapped me because my father could not, and as soon as it became clear what he had really said that night uh, was that there were more important things, son, than clothes. He said he could spend a nickel on himself because there were things I wanted. That night, without another word, my father had said, you're my son. I sacrificed for you so your life would be better than mine. From my high school graduation, my father arrived in a suit he and my mother had purchased earlier that day. Somehow he seemed taller, more handsome, and posing. And when he passed the other fathers, they stepped out of his way. It wasn't the suit, of course, but the man. The doctors and lawyers recognized the confidence in his swagger, the pride in his eyes. And when they approached him, they did so with courtesy and respect. After we returned home, my father replaced the suit in the flimsy Sears garment bag, and I didn't see it again until his funeral. I don't know what he was wearing when he died, but he was working, so he was probably in his work clothes, the ones he liked, and that comforts me. My mother thought of burying him in a suit from Sears, but I convinced her otherwise, and soon delivered a pair of old jeans, a flannel shirt, and his boots to the funeral home. On the morning of the services, I used his pocket knife to carve another hole in his belt so I wouldn't have it droop around my waist. Then I took the suit from Sears out of his closet, and I changed into it. Eventually, I mastered the courage to study myself in the mirror where, with the exception of the suit, I appeared small and insignificant. Again, as a childhood, the clothes draped over my scrawny frame. My father's scent waved up and caressed me, but it failed to console me. I was uncertain, not about my father's stature. I'd stopped being an ungrateful little twerp years before, and I was uncertain about myself, my own stature. And I stood there for some time, facing myself in my father's mirror, weeping and trying to imagine, as I will the rest of my life, the day I might grow into my father's clothes. Now, every time I read that, you know, as I just think about <clears throat> impact of a father on a little boy, it just, it just overwhelms me. How kids look at their dad, sometimes they're embarrassed by their daddy, but more than anything, they want their daddy to love them, they want to know their daddy cares about them. 
and their measure of a man, their idea of what a man should be, their idea of their own worth is going to come from that man more than anybody else. And not just their idea of what a man should be, their idea of what a father is. And the value of a boy will come from that man. There are a lot of things that you can delegate in life, but you can never delegate being a father. And what you guys are about to look at and talk about these next, you know, four to five weeks that we're together uh, matters more than you can possibly imagine. There are very few things in your life that um, when somebody uh, you, you send to represent you that you don't make a pretty significant deal out of if they, if they don't do the job that they're asked to do. And the scriptures are, are replete with example after example of how God says, hey, let me just tell you something. If you mess up one of these ones, you got me to answer to. Luke 17, Matthew 18, again and again, Jesus says, it is better for you that a millstone is tied around your neck and you try and go swim in the lake than to jack with the hearts of one of these little ones. And I will tell you, that one of the ways you jack with the hearts of a little one is you act like there's something more important than the incredible privilege and stewardship of being the dad. It is impossible to over-communicate the role that you have been given. Most of us know that. Uh, we get our arms around it, but we frankly just don't live according to it. A number of years ago, I forget the very first time we taught a dad's class at Watermark, but I invited some dads that I was investing in their kids in the community that I was in because um, one of the things, I, I made a decision very early that is if my kids were playing a sport, I was going to coach it because I knew if I wasn't coaching it, I wouldn't be there because something else would always have me 15 minutes late. But if I had 10 other families counting on me to be there when they dropped their kids off, I'd be there. And so I can't tell you with six kids how much I have coached. That was last night. My youngest is in sixth grade. And uh, we were actually, uh, I was driving two of them to a basketball practice, my son and his good buddy. And, um, and we were just talking about some different things. And I, I, I looked at this one young man. I said, hey, do you guys ever, because he was actually going through this thing called confirmation. So I was asking what confirmation was. And uh, he was explaining to me. And he was talking about how his pastor is doing certain things and taking him around to different places. I go, hey, do you ever think at camp's dad is ever weird? You know, I've known this young man since he was, uh, you know, in kindergarten. I said, is it ever weird uh, when you stop thinking about camp's dad as a pastor? And he goes, you're not a pastor, you're a coach. <laughs> and I go, I go, that's right, Brady. I'm your coach. And I like being your coach. And I like that you're my son's friend. And, um, and I love that uh, the relationships that I have with those kids that grew up with my kids because I was just present. I just purpose, I'm going to be present at those things. And I remember inviting some of those dads when we had a kid. I could never get them to come. It's amazing to me how few of them uh, I could have, have gotten to actually come on a regular basis to Watermark. Well, there was a dad's class that said, hey, how about if you guys give me five weeks to come to this? And several of them did. And, um, you know, one of those dads who's, you know, having his way in his professional career, you know, at the very first day he sat around the table. He said, I'm embarrassed to say, he wrote this. Last week showed me I didn't have a game plan. I have a plan for every area of my life. And I realized that the most precious thing I own, I don't have a game plan. 
The truth is, if most of us went through our life handling our professional responsibilities the way we do our families, we'd be fired on the spot. We show up late, we don't show up at all. We're not thoughtful. We don't know what success looks like. <clears throat> we don't really know how to execute. We just kind of get by. And I'm here to tell you that you will never regret being a dad that is all in with his son and his daughter. Now, I'm not talking about getting your identity from them. I'm talking about understanding that there is a role that God has given you in your life that will <laughs> never um, that you will never find anything else that will give you more joy and frankly never find anything that will give you more pain. There is no pain like the pain of a godless child. And there is no greater joy than to see your children walk in the truth. The truth is, is your life is either going to be a launching ramp for your kids to have an amazing uh, advantage over others or a constant moat that they're going to have to swim across. And the decisions that you make right now are going to have a lot to do with uh, how your kids are blessed or burdened. Now look, there's no such thing as a perfect dad. Lord knows my kids have not had one. But if your plan is, grace is going to intervene. God's going to show up and rescue my kids from my inattentiveness and my haphazardness. You need to know God does that. And you need to know it's a lousy plan. So what we hope to do over these next four to five weeks that we're together is just give you a, a, a pathway that will help you do a little better. The guys that are the most successful at stuff are guys that don't wait till they've got it all figured out because none of us have it all figured out, but guys that start simply and they simply start. And so let me just give you um, a couple of simple things. Let me start by just telling you the most important thing that you can do to help your kids, all right? So um, there's a, a, a little proverb that you may have heard. It's Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. This is what it says. Chapter 20, verse 7. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons <laughs> Now why is that? Um, that's true because, you know, as the scripture says, a good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. When you show up and you carry a certain name and you're not burdened by that name, it is a blessing to you. But the reason that a righteous man whose sons walk after him, or a righteous man who walks his integrity, the reason his sons are blessed after him is because they have had somebody model for them where life and purpose and, uh, and, and significance comes from. And so uh, they have had somebody map out for them what it means to be a man. Okay, now look, here's the deal. Kids may fail to do what you say, but rare, very rarely will they fail to do what you do. Uh, I love this little poem. It's uh, written by a guy named Edgar Guest. And uh, it goes like this. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes are better people and more willing than the ear. Find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. 
The best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Let me, let me tell you something. My kids are far from perfect, and, uh, and, and the primary reason for that is they've had a far from perfect dad. But at the end of the day, there's certain things that their daddy has done that uh, have set them up for success and that have, has helped mitigate all kinds of pain in their life. And so one of the things that I get a lot is, you know, people ask me about something as small as drinking. Todd, do you drink? Do you think it's okay to drink? Let me just tell you this. The reason that I haven't had beer in my fridge a single day in the entire life of my kids is not because I don't like beer. Uh, I like beer. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I, uh, I remember when my freshman year in high school, I walked up to weigh in at freshman football. And I'll never forget the humiliation and the shame that I felt um, when I stepped up on the scale. I was the only kid in my freshman class where they take that big block that was on the 100 and the little block, you know, that went from 0 to, to 50. They took the big block that was on the 100 and they moved it down to 50. And they slid that little one back up there and it topped out at 96 pounds. I, I, you know, listen to me, I had to run around in the shower to get wet. I was a skinny kid, just as the way that God made me. And um, as I went through high school, um, one of the things I did, I drank a beer my senior year almost every night at home out of my dad's fridge because uh, I, I thought it would help me put on weight. I drank raw eggs because I saw Rocky, and I drank a beer. And so I acquired a taste for beer. I, I never was drunk at that time. I didn't drink on the weekends. I never drank at all. But I acquired a taste for beer, okay? And um, I was trying to put on weight. There were a lot of protein shakes going on back then. So my Budweiser, because I lived in St. Louis. And uh, as crazy as that sounds, I didn't do it every night, okay? But I did it often. Um, you know, I, I like beer, but I realized that kids were going to do what I was going to do. And they were going to learn to like what I want to like. And here's the reason why. And I tell families this all the time. When you as adults get together, if every time you're together, you've got to break out the wine, or you make a big deal about the wine, you make a big deal about the alcohol that you serve, all the kids want to do is grow up to have fun. And when they see that you really associate the party and fun with alcohol, that's the reason they're going to want to run towards alcohol. Because they, they want to get to the fun that you're having as quick as they can have it. And so I, I just decided I was going to let my kids know that there was a lot of things to do in life that were fun, and alcohol didn't need to be a part of it. And so I can tell you that I've got three that have been through high school. I don't even think they've ever put the fruit of the vine on their lips. And it hadn't been hard. Because they don't associate that with life. And the reason they don't is because they associate life with something else because of the life that I and their mother and the people around them have lived. And I've been very careful to say, look, this is not what defines your godliness. This is not what makes you a great man. But you need to know something. Wine's a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and he who's intoxicated by it is not wise. Proverbs 20. And I said, you just need to know something. That's not where the party is. So you know what I've done? I've drank and uh, I've had O'Doul's in my fridge. 
Okay? And every now and then with a pizza or a little, some pasta or something, I'll break out no doodles. We call it hops. They know it's not alcoholic, right? And I just go, look, I like the taste. I don't need the alcohol, right? When I have a glass of something that tastes like that. Not a big deal, but here's what I'm saying. I made decisions as a dad to not do things I was free to do because I wanted them to understand what freedom was. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. We're going to take a little bit of time here. I'm going to get as practical as I can in a few moments that I've got together. And I'll just say this as I start to pass it out. You know, um, one of the gentlemen I've, I've been through this dad's class with before, he said this to me. He said, I didn't plan to be an absent daddy. I didn't plan to be a disconnected dad. I didn't plan to, um, you know, to, to be where I am with sons that are 12 and 14 and 15. <coughs> disconnected from them. Them pretty absent of uh, my leadership and building into them. It just happened. And I'm going to tell you, um, you know, I had a good friend that um, was uh, playing quarterback for the Oakland Raiders, and uh, and he had just been uh, moved to a backup position, but they noticed his leadership skills and his understanding of the offense. And Tom Flores came up to him, if you remember Flores, when he was coaching the Raiders, and he said, hey, I think you, you've got a career in this league as a coach. And uh, he said, well, what's it been like? And he said, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life. He said, but I need to tell you this. It's been a lot of my life. He said, the other night I walked in my kid's room to kiss him goodnight and tuck him in. And he was 18. And my friend uh, said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just walk in my kid's room all of a sudden kiss him goodnight and he's 18. And that's not just a story of NFL coaches. That's the story of a lot of guys where they just all suck up. My son is 15. And this is what happens with a lot of dads because they don't invest early. What they do is they teach their kids to live life without dad. They don't need dad. They don't want to hear from dad. And then when they get older, the mistakes that they make get a little bit bigger. So dad starts to show up and says, you can't do that. And they look at you like, who are you? Where have you been? What do you want with me? You've trained me to not need you. You've trained me not be influenced by, what do you mean you want to show up right now and tell me what's right and what's not right? And I don't mean to do it with such outright rebellion and anger, but it is there. The way to make teenage years an amazing time is to invest right now when they are not teenagers. So here's the number one rule of parenting. You ready? Must be present to win. Must be present to win. And so I'm going to just tell you, man, that's what I would I'd start by just landing on you is I would say, be present, okay? And in your presence, you want to be somebody that, that makes this your prayer, okay? So must be present to win. Number two, make this your prayer. This is the most effective thing that you can pray if you want to be a godly man or godly parent. You ready? This is it. It's not, Father, teach my kids to grow up, to love you and serve you and honor your word. This is the most important thing that we pray. Lord, change me. Make me like Jesus. Put in my heart the things that are in your heart. Give me a passion for the things that you're passionate about. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you are around your kids and you seek first the Lord, His kingdom, and His purposes, your kids are going to watch you, all right? And they're going to, they'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day, okay? Write down Philippians 4.9. 
Philippians 4, 9, you go back and look at it later, says this. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the peace of God will be with you. <clears throat> I must be present to win. Okay? Uh, make it your prayer. Lord, change me. Thirdly, okay? Have a plan. Don't wait till you get the perfect plan, but learn from others. Sit down with guys. What's the best thing you've done as a dad? What's the worst thing you've done that, as a dad? What do you wish you'd do if you could do it all over again? What do you wish you had done last week? And here's what I would tell you. Some of you guys can't start over. Your kids are 12. And one of the worst things you can do is go home today and tell your kids it's going to all change. Just change. Just begin to do something. Okay, don't tell your wife you're going to pray with her every night before you go to bed. Just tonight before you go to bed, grab your wife's hand and say, hey, sweetie, two things. Can I ask your forgiveness for something? I can't remember the last time I initiated praying with you. And that's just not a good man. And then pray with her. Don't tell her you're going to change. Don't tell her it's going to change to be uh, something you're going to do now that you, uh, for the rest of your life. Just, just do it again tomorrow. Okay? Don't tell your kids you're going to, you're going to teach them systematic theology out of Grudem's, you know, uh, volume one. Just find something you can give them. This is why I love the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is written for idiots. It's got short little statements and they're riddles and they're fun. So I'll just tell you, one of the best things I did with my kid is I would look up a riddle every day. I drove carpool. So when I did, I, 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 I'd get a riddle. It's just a simple, fun, stupid riddle. Like, here's a stupid riddle. What happens when you throw a white hat in the Red Sea? Anybody? It gets wet, okay? And it's stupid, right? But, but Proverbs says in chapter 1 that the sayings of the wise and their riddles, okay, because when you're a fool, when a wise man says something, it doesn't make sense to you. It's like, are you serious? What's the answer to that problem? And a wise man can give you the answer to the problem. And so my kids would always look forward to a riddle. I'd give them a riddle, and I'd go, here's another one. And then I'd take them to the book of Proverbs. I'd read just one little proverb to them as they went to school when they were little. I did just one proverb. And we'd talk about that and the wisdom that came with it. And then I'd pray for them that one truth in their life as they got to go. I just had a little plan for the morning. I had other plans for other times in the day. I was present there. I made a purpose to only be gone one day or two days a week in the morning or, or one or two nights in the, in, during the week at meal times and things like that because I knew I had to be present to win. I knew that what I became is what my kids were going to probably become. And so have a plan. And then I would tell you uh, to make sure that you are a parent. Be a parent. You don't want to be your kid's best friend. You want to be your kid's best parent. You have to understand that there's a huge difference, okay? Um, I'll read you uh, this little thing. This is um, a great statement. Um, it says, Dear son, as long as you live in this house, you will follow the rules. When you have your own house, you can make your own rules. In this house, we don't have a democracy. I didn't campaign to be your father. You didn't vote for me. We are father and son by the grace of God. And I accept that privilege and awesome responsibility. In accepting it, I have an obligation to perform the role of a father. I am not your pal. Our ages are too different. We can share many things, but we are not pals. I am your father. This is 100 times more than what a pal is. 
I'm also your friend, but that's on an entirely different level. You will do in this house, as I say, you cannot question me because whatever I ask you to do is motivated by my love for you. This will be hard for you to understand until you have a son of your own. Until then, trust me. Your father. So you've got to love your son enough at times to go, man, dad, you don't get it. Let him think you don't get it. Just like I tell God, God, you don't get it. <laughs> He's okay with me thinking that. But he doesn't ever say, okay, well, I really like you to like me today, so we're just going to do what you think we should do. He's going to say, you're free to rebel, but you're not free to not experience the consequences. Got to be present, pray the right prayer, have you know, be a parent. And then, guys, this is it. Be a passionate follower of Christ. This is the number one thing that you can do as part of your plan. Say, so i got to get serious about my faith. i got to not just tell my kids that God is good. i got to show them God is good by being attentive to His purposes and plans. I had some folks, when we were starting Watermark Fort Worth, which was very different than starting Watermark Plano, there's a number of folks over there. We told them, said, we're not interested in starting uh, a church over here that you guys will like. I don't want to come plant a church in Fort Worth that you want to go to. But we will come over here and we will train you and we will help you be the church that you want to invite your friends into. And I tried to explain to them what Jesus' model for the church was. It wasn't a place you showed up and evaluated the message and the music and the greeting and the parking and the coffee and then left and decided to come back and give them a few bucks the next week. That is not church. I said, what I'm asking you to do is if you want to live for Christ with us and give your life for him and live on mission to the city, come on. And somebody would say, we've got small kids and we're not really sure we're ready to invest this kind of time in this kind of work right now. We've got a lot going on. We've got our own business. We've got kids are doing this. I'm not sure we've got time for this. What, what would you say to me as a parent that, that thinks that maybe this isn't the best time for me to, to do this? I said, let me just tell you what the best thing for you to do as a parent. And that is to radically run hard after Jesus Christ at any time. You want to know what's best for your kid? You be about God's business all the time. But that doesn't mean you've got to plan a church. But you better make sure that you aren't planting faithfulness in your life. And what you just described to me is I'm not sure I got time to be about the one thing that Jesus said I should be about. Guys, your kids are watching what is important and they're going to value what you value. And that takes us to that place I had you turn. And we'll do this very quickly because I want you guys to talk some this morning. So I want to read you Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. I think this is even in your little book right there, but I'm going to give you um, just a, a simple breakout um, of what these passages are. So, so here we go. In Deuteronomy 6, we're going to read down really through verse 7. But let me just tell you, verses 1, 2, and 3, you can just write down why we teach, why we lead our kids, why we parent, why we've got to be present. And I'm going to let you straight up know, God said, because I am telling you, this is the way that kids are going to primarily learn. You're the primary influencer in their life, teacher in their life, role model in their life. And yes, others can come along and rescue and do what they can do, but they're going to have either a launching ramp from you or they're going to have a, a hurdle they're going to have to clear the rest of their life. And so watch this. It is commanded in verse 1. Now this is the commandment. The statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. Now watch this. It's a commandment. This is why we teach. The second reason why we teach is in verse 2. Because you need to know this, okay? Let me, let me grab your eyes just for a second. Why does a loving father tell you to do things? 
And this is the biggest problem that most of us have with God. We think, I don't know, because he can. No. Because he loves you. Because he wants it to go well for you. Verse 2 tells you that. It says, so that your, your son and your grandson might fear the Lord to keep his statutes and commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, so that your days may be prolonged. So you won't win a Darwin Award, okay? You won't move towards self-annihilation, destructiveness, so you won't lose the glory that I intend for you. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. Watch, so that it might be well with you. That you might multiply greatly and, and that your life would be filled with goodness and abundance. That's what he's saying right there. So, so why do we do this? Because he tells us to do it. Why does God, why does a good father tell us to do anything? Because he loves us and wants it to go well with us. Okay? Verse 4. What do we teach? When you teach about the character and the nature and the goodness of God. And the way to teach that is not with lectures, it's with life. Your kids should watch you. Go, hey, look, son, I don't know what we're going to do, what we're going to do with God. Because God is good. He loves us. He doesn't make mistakes. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And so why would we run from him? And we're going to love him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. That's, that's what we teach. That God, the right thing to do at any time is anything God wants us to do. Look, you can't teach your kids that with words. You teach them that with your life. When, when my kids, when you ask my kids what I'm passionate about, I've done this regularly, okay? Uh, in fact, Kyle was the first one to do this. Kyle went away with a bunch of friends on a regular basis, and he would grab some buddies, and they would, they would before they got together, they would take a survey. I did it in some informal ways, but because of Kyle, I started doing this in a formal way. I wrote down a list of questions, and regularly I would give my kids a survey. I'd sit them down. It wouldn't take long. It'd take about 15 minutes, right? You know? You know, I'd say, you guys want ice cream tonight at dinner? Which was a pretty normal affair in the Wagner household, all right? I'd say, great, here's your ticket. Sit down, here's pencil, here's paper, fill out the survey. And one of the questions always on the survey was, what is your daddy passionate about? Because that was my litmus test to see what I was really communicating. And if I got all that, you're, you're passionate about uh, my sports, you're passionate about my grades, you're passionate about, you know, I don't know what it might be for you, your college football team, uh, your fitness, your car. I knew that I was communicating there was something in my life that was a greater priority than the one thing I wanted to write down. Dad, you're passionate about Jesus, about honoring Him, following Him. Passionate about loving us, loving Him. Which should have been the second things out of their mouth. Because I'm going to tell you guys, uh, I'll just insert this here. I can't stand along, you know, but that is simply this. Because apart from pursuing Jesus Christ, well, like, you can't be a good dad. I have some dads who come to me sometimes. They say, well, mom and I just aren't getting along. I'm leaving a woman. I'm going to be the best dad that boy ever had. I'm going to say, bro, you, you, you can't be the best dad that boy ever had if you don't love his mom. You, you can do the best you can do. Now you made a decision to do a really stupid thing. But, but from here on out, it's going to have to be, would you, son, forgive me for not modeling for you faithfulness and love the way I'm supposed to? That's a hurdle he's got to overcome. I'm just going to tell you. 
So you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You love his mama. You love her mama. And uh, I know some of you guys go, okay, Todd, what am I supposed to do? I'm a single dad. Own it. And uh, repent, seek to make amends, acknowledge the failure. Be thankful for grace, just like I am. But if you're married, get on it. So what we teach is God is good. Verse 6, um, whose responsibility is to teach? Now watch this, this is simple. These words, so this is just a simple who, what, why, where, how. So verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be taught in your children's ministry at Watermark. Right? Whose job is it? It's yours. <clears throat> One of my favorite things that we do here is we pour into kids and build into our children. But we are a supplement to what God intends to be the children's program in your house. Not a substitute. Verse 7, when do you do it? Here's the answer, man, all the time. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be on the frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The answer to when is constantly, all the time. It ought to pour out of you. In your folders, there is a breakdown of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it talks about the different times you have throughout the day. Morning, bedtime, uh, as you walk along the way, drive time, and the different roles that you can have as a dad. That's for you to look at. It's for you to be encouraged by. And so uh, that's just an example of what one guy did as he was thoughtful about how his day is broken out. All I'm going to tell you guys is don't wait till you have it all figured out. Start simply and simply start. Ask other guys what they're doing well. Don't announce you're going to be the best dad in the world. Just start to do something. Tell your community group. This is what I did this week. If you don't have something that you're going to do this next week because you're a good dad that you're intentional about, you'll just look up and your kid won't be 18, but it'll be a week older than he was last week. Alright? So here's just a simple thing I would encourage you guys to do today. Write your kids a note. Find every one of your kids a note while you're working. A simple note, not a long note. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're thinking about them, praying about them. Tell them three things you think are awesome about them. Put under their pillow. And then shock yourself when you find that same note 10 years from now and you thought you'd do it away. It'll, it'll show up in some drawer, in some book. And even if it does, it'll show up on their heart. Father, I pray for these men as they invest these next weeks in their kids. That you can help them. You give them some handholds that they can grab onto and pull themselves up. These kind of classes can be almost uh, gut-wrenching and breathtaking because we feel like, oh, crap. So, Lord, I pray that we would not be discouraged by what we haven't done and what we didn't do, but what we can do today, that uh, this is the day the Lord's made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad, and we're not going to... We're not going to mourn the past in the sense that it's going to paralyze us with today. We're going to take responsibility for who we should be. We're going to repent and change direction. We're going to become on-purpose people. We start being present in the most important privileged role you've given us. We get to pour ourselves into eternal humanity made in the image of God. And we get to be a ramp that the kids can launch off all of it, not a burden they got to carry around. Lord, thank you that you cover the multitude of sins, but we don't want to count on that as, your, as our primary parenting plan. 
And so help us to be men who walk in our integrity so our kids can be blessed as they come after us. Help us to know what we're supposed to do. Why we're supposed to do it. Remind us whose job it is. And remind us that the when is right now, all the time. And Lord, we ask that you change us as men. Give us a heart after you so we can say to our kids, hey, the way you've watched me run after God, run after him. Bless these men. Thank you for the investment in their kids. That is true in here today. Help them to express your love to their kids through their words in a way that will be life to their kids in Jesus' name. <coughs> Here for a second. Uh, a couple of days, just as I've got the chance to park with the doctor, one of the things you need to know is that uh, in the midst of all how many years you've been a parent, this, this kid's loveless. He's got teenagers in college and married kids that still call him all the time. I'm saying, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Hey, give me counsel on this. It happens constantly. And let me tell you, one of the things that he's done that I have adopted, especially as you're start to get older, is Todd worked incredibly hard to make home more fun than any place else. Right? And so I have tried, I will tell my kids, hey, you got that going on? I'm not going to tell you what we're doing, but it's going to be incredible. Right? And you're going to have to choose. Right? What you're, what you're, what you're going to do. And so I want them to wrestle with, home's going to be a blast tonight versus going out with my friends. Like that. And the Wagner home is as fun as any home you've ever been in. Great discipline, structure, all that kind of stuff, but it is really fun. And a lot of people love to go over there and hang out and do family stuff with the Wagners. It is really good. So here's the deal. Uh, so we're only going to have about 25 minutes or so in small groups this week. The rest of the weeks will look really different. Okay, so we'll probably spend 45 minutes since we got a late start today, which is totally fine on week one. Here's what's going to happen now. So you got leaders. Uh, it's your groups. And so, just a quick thought on curriculum. I love curriculum because it guides you, but if something's going on in your life, in your heart, or you're convicted, or your family's in crisis, when we go around and say, hey, who are you? How long have you been around here? Those questions just stop and say, hey, man, I, I need help. I need some help. Take advantage of the men that are around the table to help you today. But today. I can care less with you. Okay? Take care of what God's doing in your own heart today. We'll be really good. So that's what's going to happen. So you're going to spend 25 or 30 minutes. I'll come back out at the end right at 8 o'clock. Give you a couple of thoughts on the homework that we've got for you. There's an orange card on your table. If you guys, if your names are not on those cards, or you switch tables, totally fine. Just make sure we know which table you're at. Give us the information if it's not on there. And we'll make sure everything's right next week. And that we'll have a complete list of emails and phone numbers so you guys can talk and interact, can talk and interact with each other. Okay, spend some time around.